All right. So we are moving through our series, Jesus, a CV, looking at all of the different sort of job qualifications that Jesus had, um, <clears throat> and specifically going through his famous teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, just showing different ways that he um, leads us in our lives, not just in spiritual teaching, but also in a lot of other stuff as well. So this week, we get to see Jesus, the investment banker, groan. That's right. On a weekend already filled with pain and suffering, I am now going to make you listen about money. And the church is going to talk about money because we love it so much when the church talks about money. It is one of those things that really you probably wish we'd said ahead of time what we were going to talk about so that you could make other plans. But alas, you're trapped. You're here. There's nothing you can do about it. I think we... Um, it's interesting, actually, because we don't like talking about money in church. Uh, it's one of those topics we very much don't want to broach. And yet, Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked about more about money than he did about any one other single topic during his time here on earth. Why do you think he would have done that? Why do you think Jesus would talk so much about money? something so physical and, and so sort of unspiritual in a sense. But I think the reason is because money is such a big deal to all of us. It's such a huge part of life. It's a huge part of our society. We are kind of obsessed with money. Um, so it means we have lots of wonderful quotes and stuff about money too, which is... Always a bit of fun. So I thought I'd share a few quotes I found about what people say about money. Like, people say that um, you should always borrow money from a pessimist because they never expect it back. You know, you can hop back, by the way. I'm not ready for those yet. There. Very good. People say money doesn't solve all problems, but it really could solve my money problem. People say it's easy to meet expenses. Everywhere we go, there they are. <laughs> I'm one step away from being rich. All I need now is money. My wallet is like an onion. Every time I open it, it makes me cry. <laughs> money means nothing to me. If you don't believe me, ask me for money and you'll get nothing. I have enough money to last me the rest of my life, unless I buy something. They say money talks. Mine doesn't, it just waves goodbye. Money is not the most important thing in the world. Love is. Fortunately, I love money. <laughs> and then someone else who said, what good is happiness? Happiness can't buy you money. So money is kind of a big deal. That's why Jesus talks about it. But I think more than just it being an important subject in our lives, what really comes down to is it touches deep into a place in our hearts. Um, there was an interesting parable that Jesus told where he talked about different types of soil, meaning different types of people's hearts. When, pe when Jesus would teach them, there were different reactions people would have. One type of heart is like the stony path where his words like seed just fall on it and, and birds come and pick it away because there's, there's no penetration into the heart. They don't, they don't accept it. There's nothing going on there. And then other people like rocky soil, they accept it and they, they 
accept it with joy and they grow up and, and, and they sort of flourish for a while, but there's no deep root. And so when persecution comes along and life gets difficult, they just fall away and they wither and they die. <clears throat> then, of course, there's good soil where people accept God's word and, and they grow and they multiply and they're very fruitful and it's wonderful. But there was another one, the third type of soil that he said, um, was this soil with um, weeds growing with it, a thorny soil. And he says that it grows up, so there's the word planted in people's hearts, it takes hold and, and people are, are growing in Christ, but there's all this other stuff going on as well that kind of gets in the way, weeds that choke it out. And one of the main weeds that he mentions is wealth, is money. There's not just the coins and the notes and the assets and the things, but the, the love, the desire for money chokes out God's words and we end up distracted and ends up suffocating this message that Jesus gives us. And as we've kind of seen in um, this Sermon on the Mount series so far, that Jesus is very concerned not just about behaviors and actions, things on the outside, but he's concerned about the heart. And because wealth impacts our hearts so much, he needs to talk about it a lot. So sucks to be you because he talked about it, I'm going to talk about it too. <laughs> and it could be a difficult subject. I'm going <clears> to <throat> be the first to admit that churches talking about money gets very awkward because the way the church is set up, the way God designed it, the way he kind of put it together is that it functions on the gifts and the tithes and the offerings of the people who are part of the church. The community gives towards it. It pays for everything that we do from renting this facility to paying salaries to buying microphones to printing kids' activities, everything. Everything that we do, everything that we function, the way we go out to the community, the way we try and impact people's lives, it all comes from that. At the moment, we've got a significant portion coming in from the States, uh, from support, from churches that support us, one of which is going to be visiting us on the 10th of November, as I mentioned. Um, and then portion of it comes from you guys, but eventually the portion that comes from you guys will expand to the whole budget. So the idea is we become self-sufficient. That's, that's the logistical reality of the church. And because of that, churches often approach this topic of money with the prime focus of giving we want you to give so we're going to teach you in order to get you to give and you know i'm guilty of that sort of approach many times and although i'm not as bad as some in the way that we go about it we've seen churches do some pretty horrific things um, from just laying on the guilt if you don't give even posting people's giving on front door so that people can see this is, this is a real thing that happens. And so that there is a, a great deal of shame and honor associated with giving, which is playing on a shame and honor culture usually. It's, it's not something a lot of white churches do because we tend to just get angry. But um, other cultures will feel the shame of that and it really sucks people in and it, and it kind of causes a lot of damage. So they do that because that's an easy way to get the coffers filled. 
Um, other churches go the other direction, and it's not so much guilt. They don't use the stick, they use the carrot. And so they dangle this idea in front of you that if you give everything you've got, God will give you more of the same money back. And you are only poor because you don't have faith and you're not giving, and that usually spills out into health as well, and that's not really the way we're going to go either. So there's often ways, it's interesting that our motivation for talking about money often comes from that end result, which is interesting because we're going through this message series and, and, you know, I picked it in part because it did talk about money and I wanted to bring this up and stuff like that. And then I realized that throughout this whole section where Jesus talks about money, which is Uh, Chapter 6, verse 19 through 34, it's like a big section. He never actually mentions giving once. In the whole passage, he doesn't talk about giving. There's no, there's parallels in other Gospels. The same sermon written in a different Gospel does mention giving, and he does talk about a lot, so you're not off the hook by any means. But in this passage, he doesn't talk about giving, which I found interesting. He talks a lot about money, but not about giving. And what I realized as we worked through, and I should have realized this as we go through this passage, and as I've already said, the Sermon on the Mount is about the heart, not about behavior. It is behavior that comes from the heart. So Jesus is not as concerned about our behaviors. We saw that with the law. We saw that with the things that we do, our spiritual acts of prayer and fasting, it's not as much about the act as what's going on in the heart, what's happening in here. And so Jesus' theme, at least the way Matthew presents it, is not about giving as much as it is about letting go. It's not about giving as much as it is about letting go. Giving is the behavior. Letting go is the heart. So we're going to go have a look through this. And I very, very cleverly um, divvied up the four different sections that Jesus talks. He talks four different ideas about money. And, and I've, I've wrapped them up nicely in terms of statements that you would hear from an investment banker. Because right? investment banker. So we're going to talk about that. We'll read the passage. And then we'll talk about what Jesus would say to that statement. Yeah, you laughed. That's good. All right, so investment banker tip number one. Stockpile, and I tried to make these as actually legitimate things that an investment banker would say, not just a sarcastic thing that I can shoot down. But investment banker tip number one is stockpile your wealth in order to secure your future. Fair enough? I mean, that's decent sort of advice, right? I mean, we have to look after our future, our family, We need to stockpile wealth in order to take care of difficult times ahead. It's not unreasonable. Well, let's have a listen to what Jesus says. In verse 19 to 21 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves Do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Okay, so fairly simple concept. A little background would be helpful here. In the ancient world, wealth is usually expressed in cloth and in precious metals, jewels and gold and stuff like that. 
So in an arid sort of country, two of the biggest things that you have to deal with is moth destruction and rust of your precious metals. That's why he's talking about moth and rust. But anything, basically, where we have instability, you could just easily um, exchange that for instable financial markets. You know, don't store your treasures where, you know, some Ponzi scheme can take it all away from you or, or whatnot. Um, but of course, you know, thieves breaking in and steal, that's just as applicable today, isn't it? Yes. Even in banks, especially in banks. Maybe the banks themselves. Anyway, won't get into that. <coughs> so he says, don't store where it is not safe. That's pretty wise. Store where it is always safe. Forever safe. Store eternally. Store in heaven. Luke, in his parallel, states that the way we do that is by helping the poor, using our resources to help others. Um, and then he says this wonderful little thing, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. That's one of those ouch statements that Jesus likes to throw in every now and then just to make us feel really good about our lives. And the thing is, it's not so much a statement of what should be, this is the difficult thing. You know, where your treasure is there, that your heart should also be, or where your heart is there, your treasure should be, right? It's not so much a should statement as a, this is a statement of reality. This is what is already true. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. The two go hand in hand. So it kind of brings up a couple of interesting questions. Um, if we're not supposed to store up treasures here on earth, does that mean savings accounts are bad? Does that mean purchasing a house? Purchasing an investment house? Um, all those saving for the future, all of that sort of stuff, is that bad? I'm going to come very honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm actually struggling through the conviction of this myself. The Bible does tell us that we need to look after our families, you know, so we should provide for our families. That's, that's a baseline thing. So, yes, that's true. How much? I don't know. We should be smart, wise with our finances. So we don't want to give everything away and then not be able to feed ourselves the next day. But how much? I don't know. What's interesting is it goes back to the heart. What's going on in here? It's not so much a dollars, it's not a numbers thing, it's a heart thing. Where is your heart? Are you storing up treasures on earth to secure your future? Or is your future secure in Jesus? If he has provided that security, then it adds a different dimension to the question, what am I doing financially for the future? Am I doing that for him or in spite of him? And honestly, I wish I could give you some really logistical things, but I just don't know. And I think it's a, it's a hard thing, and it's a thing that we can discuss together, help each other figure out, pray it through together. But the key is the heart. So Jesus' investment tip then, don't secure or stockpile your wealth, but release your wealth to secure your future. Release your wealth to secure your future into his hands. Whether that stays in your bank account or not is his decision that he makes with you, but you release it. 
All right, <clears throat> investment banker tip number two. This one's a fun one. He says, investment banker would say, use wisdom to guide your choices. You want to be smart about it. In fact, if you go investing things, don't go emotionally into your investments, right? You don't um, pick your favorite sort of thing that's happening and invest in that or pick your stock based on the letters that look cool on the thing um, or the logo of the company, you know, stuff like that. Be smart, you know. Temper down your heart, open up your mind a little bit. I'm going to read a passage that may not seem like it, it connects here, but we'll see how we go. Jesus says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Okay. <clears throat> so this is a complicated, weird sort of statement. Jesus kind of makes it, and we're kind of sitting there going, wait, I thought we were talking about money, and now we're talking about optometrists? Like, what's going on here? Is this another CV thing that he's got? No, no, no. But I think the thing we need to understand is, I'm going to cut the long story short, but the way Jesus describes your eyes is like the light or the darkness of your eyes is your attitude, your generosity, in a sense. If you have healthy eyes, you have generousness. The way you look at the world, the way you see people is with generosity. Unhealthy eyes is you would see with self. I would see myself with my eyes. And what he's saying here is your eyes are a lamp to your body, your heart, your decision-making. The way that you see the world, the way that you operate and you see things around you determines the way that you live, the way that you act, the way that you do things. So he says if your eyes are healthy, if they're full of light and generosity, your heart will act that way too. It will be godly. It will be in line with who he is. But if your, heart is un if your eyes are unhealthy, if you have a self-centeredness, um, if you are seeing what you want, that does the same thing to the heart and it leads your heart astray. That can be a hard thing to hear. Um, and then the kicker at the end, because again, Jesus is, is super friendly here. He says, if the light you think you have, like you thought you were in line with Christ, you thought that everything was going well, but it's actually darkness, how deep that darkness is because we don't see it. We think we're fine, and we're actually not. So the key here is a connection between a generous attitude and a God-centered heart. So again, we're seeing the pattern here, right? We're seeing the, the, the pattern between our hearts and what he is really after. So Jesus' investment tip, use generosity to guide your choices. All right. Moving forward, investment banker tip number three, take control of your finances. This is a good one. You need to do this. You need to take control of your finances. Don't let it control you, right? That's really good. This is what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So, that's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? Take control of your money or money will take control of you. 
except Jesus has a slight twist on that. Don't take control of your money. It's not between you and your money. It's between you and God. So Jesus' investment tip, let God take control of your money. Give your heart up to him. Release it to him. Release your heart. Don't be slave to money, but be a slave to him. Which is a lot nicer than it sounds. All right. <clears throat> Last one here. Mm. Oh, yeah, no, okay, yep. Mm. <laughs> Actually, before we move on to that one, I do want to say something about the reality of the way money sort of controls us. We kind of tend to think that we have got a handle on the way that we approach money. But it's kind of one of those things that over and over again, we think we're in control of it and then it turns out to be in control of us. Even if we have it in, in order, the attitude that we have, it can control us. This is the thing we need to remember about Jesus when he's saying this. He has been sitting in heaven watching humanity for thousands of years up until this point, and he's already seen the video of what happens to humanity in the 2,000 years after he was on earth, right? He's watched the movie. He knows how it goes. He knows how humanity is. He knows how big of an issue, how big of a monster money can become for people, the desire for money. And so this is why he addresses it. He knows that it takes over our hearts and the one thing he wants more than anything else is our hearts. So it's not a money grab. It's a heart grab. That's what he's doing. All right, last one here. Investment banker tip number four. Prioritize your needs first. Then let other things follow. That's, that sounds right. Prioritize your needs. Don't go after the big shiny TV if you haven't paid your you know, electricity bills, stuff like that, you know? So go after your needs first, then let everything else follow after that. That's sound financial advice. Let's have a listen to... There's, there's a little section here, <clears throat> but I'm going to read a couple of verses. So Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. This one is, illustrates to us the flip side of the coin that we may have been sort of picturing here about the way money controls us. We often think that wealthy people have money problems because they have too much money. And then we look at our own lives and we go, well, that's not me, because I certainly don't. And you may not. <laughs> but we see here it is not just an abundance of money that can control us, but often a lack of it can control us as well. I think there's a prayer in the Bible where someone was praying, and I wish I had looked this up, but he said, Lord, give me enough money that I don't want to steal, but not enough that I get proud. Right? 
And this is where this whole concept of need comes in. But I just wanted to talk to just to, to illustrate the fact that our desire for money, for wealth, for security, comes whether we have it or not. It's an issue where we have it or not. In fact, if you think about the people Jesus was talking to, the majority of people Jesus was talking to were subsistent farmers, fishermen, laborers. They didn't have any money. They weren't sitting around going, man, I wish I could buy another BMW. That's just not their life. They didn't have that. They sometimes, often, had to work that day to get paid that day to buy food that night. They didn't work that day. They didn't eat that night. It was tough. And so they worried. There was this anxiety that comes in. We know this anxiety, right? We know the worry that comes in when we don't have enough to pay the bills at the end of the month. We don't, when we have this budget that um, <clears throat> kind of says we need this much money and then we look at our bank account and it says we only have this much. Someone said that a budget is a mathematical proof of our anxieties. You know, so that's, that's a reality we often have. We have that anxiety and Jesus is saying, no, don't be anxious about that. And you know Why? Because anxiety was a trademark of the pagan religions that surrounded them. Because they lived in a world, in a world mindset, where they had to appease all of these gods, these fickle gods. They had to appease them or they wouldn't send rain and they wouldn't grow their crops, their crops would fail, all that sort of stuff. So if you didn't put your sacrifices into, you know, the god of rain, then you wouldn't get rain. That's bad. So they lived in this constant fear that they weren't appeasing their God enough. And God's like, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. Think back to the world I first created. There was more than enough. Think back to the world that, the land that I brought the Israelites into way back in the day. A land flowing with milk and honey. There was enough. It was plenty. Everybody was just, it was there. You shared it. Everything was, was fine. No one was holding on to it until they started doing that and then everything went wrong. And so his original creation was a world where we all just lived. We didn't care about whether we had enough because there was plenty. There was so much. And we could just share it around with everybody, you know? And I'll buy this tree and I'll, I'll chuck you a bit of fruit from that tree, you know, and, and we just live together in that way. And that's the world he is drawing us into when he comes back. That is what heaven will be like. They won't, we won't have bank accounts. We won't have to pay for things. I assume that's not specifically in the Bible, but given the story, I'm sure that's not the case. You know, we won't have to borrow in order to get our, our crown of jewels, you know. It's just there. There's so much. God created everything. He's just, he wants to bless us. He wants to give us so much. Give us this abundance. But of course, we don't live in a world like that, do we? We live in a world of mine. We live in a world of ownership. We live in a world of, you can't have this because I earned it. But we look forward to a world where that is no longer true. And dare I say, Jesus perhaps wants the church to act a little bit more like the world to come than the world we're in, in this respect, perhaps. Where as a community of people, we can fulfill 
verse 33, where he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Be part of that community. Put yourself into his kingdom. And God will provide everything you need. How? Through everyone else in the kingdom. The same way he provided it back in the Garden of Eden. The same way he's going to provide it in heaven. Where we just help each other. We're just there. We just share. Sounds very communal living, right? <clears throat> and maybe that's extreme. But also the other extreme of not sharing at all can be found in Christian churches as well. And so this is where Jesus sort of circles back to the idea of giving, that we share with one another, help each other. When someone has plenty and someone has none, then the one with plenty shares and then the tables turn and the one who had none now has plenty can share back and we just live our lives that way. Wouldn't that be something? All right. So Jesus' investment tip, prioritize God first and all other things will follow. Can I say that this is, this is where churches sometimes get into sticky ground and we start saying, well, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying here? That if I just trust God, he'll provide? Because sometimes it doesn't seem like, hello, sometimes it doesn't seem like that's happening. And sometimes that's because the church is not responding the way it is, but sometimes there is an element of faith here. And I've tried to live that out in my own life. I'm not perfect, but I've tried to live my life where I trust God with my money, so I give to him first. Before the government gets their cut, I assign God his cut. And then I trust him with everything else. I try to, I'm not, I'm not doing this to kind of like, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. I'm just trying to express that when I have lived that way, I have never needed. I've never missed what I've needed. I've missed some things that I've wanted. Yeah, like every Christmas. But um, I'm kidding. But I've never missed what I've needed. And every time I put God first, he shows a way. So I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to get too sort of like formulaic with this. Give this amount, get that amount. That's not the way it works. But I think there is an element that God wants us to trust Him, that He can provide. And one of the ways He does that is through the church. One of the ways He does that is through a society. We have welfare. We have jobs to pursue. Things like that. We can help each other with. Um, but we focus is on God. All right. So let's get down to the practical. I'm going to wrap it up here. Practically, what do we want to do? <clears throat> I think the first thing we need to do is we need to decide where we are. Where is our heart? What is going on in here when it comes to money? Do I feel like I don't have enough and I'm having anxiety and I need to give that up to him? Do I feel like I am being too possessive of my money? Do I need encouragement? And some of us do, because some of us are doing good things with our money. And we just need to be encouraged that God sees it and will bless it and will honor that. I can't tell you where you are. Only you know where you are. You and God need to have that conversation. We can help with that. That's just the next thing. Oh, sorry, the other thing is, is guilt. And, and I think we need to address whether we are feeling guilt. 
is Satan bringing us down with guilt because Satan will love to do that. We'll never give enough for him, you know? So we need to have that grace that God gives us. Or is the Spirit convicting? We need to submit. This is what we need to help each other with. Let's talk about it more. Perhaps in our small groups, if you're in a small group, perhaps just get together over coffee with someone. Let's talk. Let's think. Let's explore this with each other in a compassionate, loving, open space so that we can make the right decisions. And then finally, let's take our next step. Follow what God's lead is. What is he asking me to do? What is the next step in my journey towards this? Here and then out here in our behavior as well. So I'm going to leave you with that. And just a reminder, God has so much love and compassion. He's not trying to steal your money which is so much the attitude we have because of all of the way that the world thinks about money. God wants your heart. And to have your heart, he knows nothing else can be center place in your heart, including money or lack of money, desire for money, all of that sort of stuff. That's why I talk about it. That's why he talks about it. So I want that to sit in your, in your heart. I'm going to pray and we'd be done.